The Blunt Post with Vic. Good morning, happy Monday, and welcome to The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, the editor and publisher of The Blunt Post. The Blunt Post with Vic is a program that covers national, regional, and local headline news, offers analysis and commentary, and I interview members of Congress, local elected officials, and other high-profile public figures. Today, my guests are Fassel Gill, the leading candidate for LA City Attorney and Council Member Monica Rodriguez. So stay tuned. Good morning, Fassel. Thank you for uh, joining me on the Blunt Post with Vic this morning. How are you today? Oh, thank you very much for having me. I am doing great this morning. Congrats on uh, on your uh, campaign and all the successes uh, coming up with uh, with the most votes in the primary. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. It's, it's, How do you uh, feel? I feel wonderful. It's such a great honor to have the trust of so many Angelinos, you know, so I feel really great. I mean, our campaign did a great job and uh, I feel very good. That's fantastic. So you let's let's sort of, you know, sometimes we assume that every listener knows what every office does. The fact is that a lot of people don't, you know, like say they don't know, for example, what the LA County Board of Supervisors really do or assembly members do. So for those who may not know what the LA City Attorney does, um, just explain it in, 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 you know, in any way that you like, maybe a, a Reader's Digest version. Sure, sure. Uh, well, the first thing I will tell folks is that the LA City Attorney is different than the District Attorney. A lot of people make that confusion. They think it's the same office. It's not, it's a very different office. So the City Attorney, uh, has all of the misdemeanors that take place in the city of LA under their jurisdiction. The city attorney is also the advisor for the city council, the mayor, and every other department within the city. And then the city attorney uh, defends any lawsuits against the city and then can also have the ability to file lawsuits on behalf of the city against you know people, corporations, companies, anything. So that's the job of the city attorney. Pretty easy. Like just, well, you know, just, uh, <laughs> just another job. <laughs> wow. It's just so overwhelming. Um, yes. Uh, city attorney is not district attorney. That's George Gascon, uh, who's been on the show several times. So thank you for that. That's, that's actually pretty, um, pretty easy to understand for, for, you know, those who may have sort of questions and such as we, where we are today, um, you know, we're about, you know, a month or so from the election. What's your perspective on where we are uh, as a nation starting and then as a region, the greater LA region, where you'll be, your office will be, um, it'll be your jurisdiction. What's your perspective on where we are um, as a nation, as a region, politically and otherwise? I think we have a lot of issues. You know, we have a lot of issues to solve. And unfortunately, we're living in a time that's so decisive, you know, uh, divisive. I mean, uh, it was decisive too, but it's so divisive that you really can't, it, it's hard to get to a compromise. The word, you know, it's like the word compromise has become almost a curse word. Nobody wants to do it. People want to just have one view. And, and if you have anything to do with anybody else's view, you know, it's wrong. Uh, there are a lot of issues that we need to deal with as a nation and as a region. You know, as a region, certainly, we have to deal with um, 
you know, we have to deal with homelessness. Homelessness is certainly, you know, and in fact, in a lot of other cities too, around the nation, homelessness is a is an issue, and that comes from other that stems from other issues, affordable housing. Um, that's become an issue here. I mean, those are all things that we have to deal with. From my perspective, as a city attorney, you know, one of the things that I believe we have to deal with is police reform and criminal uh, justice reform. I mean, a lot of people are getting criminal records for very low level offenses that go on to ruin their lives and go on to hurt them and us as a society. And that's what people don't need to understand is, you know, I see a lot of folks who who talk and they say, well, you know, the person shouldn't commit a crime. It's just to them. Well, it's not just about them. You have, you have a person who gets a criminal record. They can't get a job. They can't do anything else. What are they going to do? They're going to be, you know, burden on society. So we need people out there who don't have those criminal records. So uh, we have a lot of pro- a lot of very serious problems to solve. And unfortunately, uh, because of the times, it's, it's much more difficult to solve those problems. Yeah. Do you feel like, um, you know, coming into this office now is any more challenging in 2022 than it would have been or it has been for some of your um, people uh, before you? The city attorneys before you. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Look, we are living in an age of Twitter. We are living in an age of Instagram. We are living in an age of instant communication, right? Everything that takes place. And we're living in an age where the communication is very short, small, right? Twitter's what, 160 characters. Uh, it, it's just very short sound bites. We're living in, you know, sound bites. And a lot of these problems, sound bites, you can't explain them in a sound bite, but they get people excited and they get people angry in a soundbite, right? You put one little soundbite out there and bam, people are there. You know, like with me, people, uh, you know, I have certain policies that are out there that, you know, uh, I think will make things safer, but people sit there and say, oh, Fassel Gill is not going to prosecute any crimes. Well, that's just not true. That's not what I've said, but that's the soundbite that's out there. Now you're facing that. Now you're fighting that soundbite. And the only way to explain yourself is through a you know regular policy to say, no, that's not what my policy means. The policy means we're going to review and we're going to see what we actually need to you know prosecute and what we don't need to prosecute. But, oh, yeah, I think it's a lot more challenging to be an elected official right in 2022 than it was, you know, uh, certainly in 1992 or even 2002. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um... For those of you just tuning in, uh, this is The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you're listening to my interview with Fassel Gill, civil rights attorney who is also running for LA City Attorney. Um, Fassel, uh, you were talking about uh, police reform, and I know that that's, that's one of the top priorities for you. Um, two things pertaining to that. One, uh, it seems to me, at least, that a lot of your um, policies and a lot of your views are very in line with uh, District Attorney George Gascon. Is that a fair thing to say? Yeah, I would say it's fair. Yeah. Okay. Do you consider yourself a progressive? That title, that label? <laughs> absolutely. I mean, I, I, absolutely. I, I don't view the word progressive or that label as a pejorative. I, I, I would absolutely say that I am a progressive. Yes. I like that. I really I, I respect people who own um, who own it and don't don't let others redefine what that is. Right. You know, I remember years ago we were we were at a protest um, and someone said, you know, liberal has become a bad word, but people forget that it was the liberals who started the the uh, labor movement, the women's movement, the civil rights movement. 
you know, so let's just own that. I love that. Um, exactly. That. No. Now, uh, so there are a couple of tough questions I'm going to ask you because I just need to oh, know absolutely. for myself. And also, I think people listening are going to be curious. One sure. of them is, you know, as a civil rights attorney uh, years ago, it's fair. We should definitely say this was a long time ago. Uh, you were not for uh, marriage equality. Some people call it gay marriage, but it's marriage equality because it's not just gay men getting married. Wow. Uh, but you've come a long way since then. So um, just explain that. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Back in 2006, I was not for uh, marriage equality. You know, I, I felt that civil unions um, were were adequate, would give, you know, uh, LGBT community the, the same rights. Uh, you know, since then, I've learned that that it's not. I mean, marriage is a very big thing and it's a very important thing. And, you know, I'm married and it's important to me to be married. So I can't deny people rights. Um, and it was a very, I'll be honest with you, it was a very difficult transformation, not because of the, not because of the issue, because of my introspection that, oh my God, I'm being discriminatory, right? We are, everybody likes to think of themselves as fair-minded. They don't discriminate. They're equal rights. Everybody. I mean, I would say you, you go to the, you know, most conservative Republican, they'll think of themselves as the same thing that, oh yeah, no, of course I don't discriminate. Of course I'm fair-minded. But I, when I actually looked at the issue of marriage equality, I thought, oh, my God, I'm not I am being discriminatory. I am discriminating against a whole section of the population, uh, you know, based on what they believe. And that's just wrong. It's, it's absolutely wrong. And it's very difficult to come to that realization and admit that you were discriminatory. Not a lot of people, you know. But it's uh, very refreshing. Your honesty is very refreshing. A, a lot of politicians who have had a change of mind for whatever reason, they sort of play it down. Yeah, uh, but you're owning it. And that's, you know, I was, uh, I don't know, a couple of days ago, I was talking to someone about politics and how, you know, I'm just, I'm very blunt and direct. And I appreciate politicians and, and people in public service that are that way. But some people have such a hard time. They, they, they speak in sound bites, as you were saying, they speak in rhetoric right. and, um, you know, it's like, just own it and let's just go past it. You know, let's just move on. Um, which brings me to the next one, which is another tough one. Uh, as you know, I'm, I'm not just a gay uh, American. I'm also an Armenian American. And, uh, you know, Armenians are going through, and I say going through because it's not over, uh, the toughest, uh, most tragic part of our history since the Armenian genocide in 2020, right. uh, nations of Azerbaijan and Turkey orchestrated a genocidal assault and ethnic cleansing against the Armenians of Artsakh which uh, unfortunately continues today. Um, oh. It was during that time that I found out um, as journalists covering it that uh, Turkey had hired mercenaries from Syria, Libya, and Pakistan. And we should tell our listeners, you're, uh, you're American of Pakistani descent. And right. uh, of course, some will think, well, what, what has this got to do with city attorney? Um, it does because a lot of constituents of yours um, are Armenian American. And also, um, I think it's just one of those elephants we've got to point out and talk about. And, you know, of course, that has nothing to do with you, the fact that there were Pakistani mercenaries killing Armenians. Uh, and then I found that Pakistan is the only nation in the world, including Azerbaijan and Turkey, that has not recognized Armenia, yeah. not even Artsakh, but Armenia. And I thought, well, what is what's going on with this? And so, you know, there's that 
you know, there's 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 this ongoing thing that's happening, and it's Armenians are on edge right now, uh, and for good reason. So uh, I just I just was curious about your perspective. Again, you know, you're your own person. You're here in the U.S. with your wife and six children. It's got nothing to do with you. But I think it is important, and it's apropos for me to ask you. Uh, what you f- how you feel about that and and what happened and Pakistan's position uh, in Armenia and really sort of being a cheerleader for Azerbaijan. Yeah, no. Look, first let me say unequivocally, and I mean unequivocally, what what Azerbaijan and Turkey uh, did in Artsakh is absolutely wrong, and I agree with you. It is it is a continuation of genocidal killing. So I am hundred percent against what they are doing, uh, and as far as what Pakistan is doing, I'm hundred percent against that as well. And I do think that they should recognize uh, Armenia. I mean, it it absolutely is foolish for them not to recognize Armenia. And you know what I've said is, if I am able to be elected a city attorney. Uh, I think I'll probably be the highest ranking uh, Pakistani official elected because there are not too many Pakistani officials that are elected, especially being of Pakistan. And I was born there. I, you know, I moved there when I was eight years old. So being Pakistani and, um, uh, you know, being born there, but being the, the city attorney for the second largest city in the country, I think will put me in a little bit of a little bit of a position to to put some pressure on Pakistan or at least talk to the officials here that, look, we should recognize Armenia and they shouldn't be siding and doing this, you know, war. Uh, you know, it really amazes me And one time that, that the entire world has come together and is against Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And when it comes to what Azerbaijan and Turkey are doing in Artsakh, the response wasn't the same. I mean, the response should have been the same. Azerbaijan, there should have been, you know, sanctions against Azerbaijan. The world should have just basically, uh, you know, ostracized them like they're ostracizing Russia. But that didn't happen. And I think that was wrong. I think that is wrong. It should happen now. Yeah, the double standard is, uh, it's just really, really painful. Because it's almost identical. And and Russia also had a role in the invasion of Artsakh, too. Right, exactly. It wasn't too far from the from the Putin, uh, you know, jurisdiction. Right. I appreciate that. Thank you for that. Um, oh, no, of course. It's really important to um, um, talk about that. Uh, you know, I want to go back to what has been, because I've been interviewing a lot of, uh, elect, not just elected officials, but people who are um, campaigning for different offices. And of course, the, the top item on their list just keeps coming up, which is the unhoused, the homelessness issue. Right. And you brought that up. And, uh, I'll be honest with you. I don't know how much of a city attorney's office um, has anything to do with that, any control no. over that. Of course, I don't think any one person has control over that. This is a much bigger issue than any one office. It's a national uh, issue. It's, a, it's an issue about disintegration of the middle class. It's an issue about income, uh, income uh, inequality. It's an issue about uh, just inflated housing prices and all of that. But what uh, first is, what would your, if any, your office have to do with homelessness? And if so, how would you contribute to that? So the city attorney's office plays three important roles in homelessness. First, it advises the city council and uh, the mayor on whatever policy proposals that they are proposing, whether those proposals are legal or not legal, constitutional, not constitutional, can they do that? So that's a very important role the city attorney plays. Uh, You know, second is if there are lawsuits, which there are many, that uh, people file against the city regarding homelessness, the city attorney has to decide how best to deal with them. Do you, you know, do you settle them? Do you fight them all the way? What do you do? How do you defend them? 
And lastly, and, and uh, just as importantly is, you know, what do you do with the homeless population, the houseless that are out there on the streets? Now, the city council has, you know, I don't know why, but they've been focused on, you know, more of an enforcement, you know, clearing the encampments and putting people in jail and, 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 and getting them out there. And of course, I want to see that too. I want to see the encampments cleared. We don't, nobody deserves to be sleeping out on the streets. However, how we do that is very important. As city attorney, what I've said is, you know, there's an ordinance that they passed, city council passed, which is 4118. Uh, that I said, I'm absolutely against it because I think it's unconstitutional. And that ordinance is basically will allow the police to arrest a homeless person who is sitting, laying, sleeping on the sidewalk. And, and to me, that's just not the appropriate way of taking care of homelessness. So the next city attorney is really going to play a huge role in, um, you know, uh, in the homeless policy that's being developed. Wow. I, I didn't, you know, I didn't have an appreciation of, of how much uh, the city attorney's office have to do with uh, all of it. It's just all tied. It's all tied together from the city, city to oh yeah the supervisors. City, attorney, city attorney's office is in the middle of just about every single issue that takes place in the city of Los Angeles. I mean, it's one of those offices that are not really focused upon a lot, uh, but it is absolutely in the middle of just about every, every policy that takes place. Wow. Thanks for that. What are, you know, what's on your agenda for the next almost two months leading into the election? Well, we're, you know, we're campaigning, we're campaigning hard, um, talking to people, talking to voters is the number one important issue. So, you know, I'm going out to as many events as I possibly can go out to. I'm talking to people. Uh, we're canvassing, uh, you know, uh, you know, out there together with other candidates by ourselves as well. We're going to start, you know, phone banking, phone texting, or not phone, texting, phone banking, uh, and then, you know, afterwards, just a regular communication. So the next two months is just meeting as many voters as I possibly can and, you know, getting our message out there to as many people as we possibly can get it out to. Okay. You've been endorsed by a, a great many organizations, individuals, elected officials, uh, members of Congress, et cetera. Um, I know you probably don't want to single anyone out, but just give us a highlight, a few that have meant the most to you. I mean, look, uh, you know, as far as uh, let, me, let me do it different way, organizations and uh, uh, people, people, you know, I would say that the matter, uh, you know, Supervisor Holly Mitchell, who's been just fantastic. She's she's endorsed me, you know, Isaac Bryan, Sydney Comlogger, who's going to be our next congresswoman, who's just been, you know, just beyond uh, fantastic to me. She's been a wonderful person. Um, and, you know, I highly recommend that you have her on, on your show if you already haven't. She's just a great, great person. So those, I would say, would be the, the, the people. And then Isaac Bryan also, who's a young, you know, assembly member who's just been taking the assembly by storm and really focusing a lot on criminal justice reform. And he's a real leader in that space. So I think those have been a lot as far as institutions, you know, the unions, the more unions I get, the, the better I feel. I mean, you know, I've got the two largest ones in L.A., uh, SEIU 2015 and 721. They, they represent the working people. They represent the folks who, are, who make L.A. run, you know, from, from nurses to, um, you know, to everything, basically. And, and I, feel real, I feel real proud to have their support and have their endorsement. You know, I've got the dock workers. I mean, just the unions are the ones that I just, those are the ones that I really, really am proud of. Absolutely. And it's important, uh, you know, just, you know, I'm a big union uh, supporter and, uh, especially with the, with the income inequality, unions are more important than ever. Um, so that's, uh, 
that that's just that's just incredible. Thank you for that. Oh. Fassel, what haven't I covered? What question or questions have I not asked you that I should have? No, I think you've asked pretty much a lot of questions. I mean, I can tell you what my, you know, I said my agenda that I'm running on, as I said, is, you know, criminal justice reform, uh, police accountability and not criminalizing poverty. Uh, you know, I'm going to be a very aggressive attorney going after corporations who are, who are hurting the working people. So that's that's the agenda that I'm running on, you know. And I mean, and who doesn't like that? Well, except for the cor corporate executives who make inflated uh, salaries. Exactly. Uh, Chambers of Commerce, corporate executives, they're right. certainly not supporting me. In fact, they're scared that I'm going to win. So that's why they're supporting my opponent. Well, it, it looks like you're going to win. So hopefully, uh, good luck to you. And if people want to reach out to you, support, donate, uh, volunteer, etc., will you give us your website? Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, it's uh, www.gill, G-I-L-L, for LA.com. That's F-O-R-L-A.com. So www.gillforla.com. Fantastic. Uh, thank you, Fassel. Good luck uh, uh, and all the patience to you in the next uh, month or so until, until election. Appreciate you being on the show. David, thank you very much for what you do, uh, getting the word out there. And I really appreciate you uh, interviewing me. Thank you very much. That was Fassel Gill, who is uh, the leading candidate for L.A. City Attorney. Uh, it was definitely a pleasure uh, chatting with Fassel. I appreciate your time, uh, and I hope to chat with you again soon. The Blunt Post with Vic. Councilmember Monica Rodriguez is the third Latina in the city's history to serve on the Los Angeles City Council, District 7 since 2017. Her district encompasses North, Central, and northeast parts of the San Fernando Valley. She has the endorsement of dozens of organizations, elected officials, and community leaders, including Unite Here Local 11, United Farm Workers, Planned Parenthood, and the Armenian Council of America. Council Member Rodriguez, thank you for being on The Blunt Post with Vic this morning. How are you today? I'm doing good. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. There's so much going on. We keep thinking that we are transitioning out of COVID, but then another strain comes out. But nonetheless, we're trying to be in, in the solution, uh, pick up the pieces and sort of come out of this epidemic and maybe uh, would have to settle with an endemic. What is your perspective on where we are as Los Angeles as a city, but as well as your own district in terms of sort of just the general perspective on where we are as a city and what's happening. Well, of course, we continue to evolve in what our, our position is. Um, you know, we recognize that we aren't completely out of the woods yet. In fact, uh, e even if I just take my own team as an example, my staff, uh, how COVID has, has continued to affect uh, my, my staff and, and our ability to continue to seamlessly provide, uh, you know, just steady staffing it's a reflection of how this continues to evolve. I think, um, you know, we aren't out of the woods yet. Uh, there are many individuals that continue to contract COVID-19. Um, I think it's incredibly important that we all remain vigilant in doing what we can to protect one another so that we can see the light at the end of the tunnel informally. I mean, we've, you know, resumed a lot of in-person activities, but um, I think to really truly have uh, this moment of putting it, you know, in the rearview mirror, requires each of us to be able to, um, you know, ensure greater public health by 
making sure that everyone is getting their vaccine, is, is maintaining the proper protocols and hygiene so that we can actually eliminate uh, COVID indefinitely. And, and, and I don't know that uh, we'll ever get there, uh, but we could certainly minimize its continued impact uh, so that it's not as pervasive as it has been. Yeah, absolutely. The unhoused have been uh, a challenge, a topic. I'm trying to say the right words for Los Angeles, for Southern California, for all of California. And I'm and I do believe it's it's really a, a nationwide challenge. And the problem is not just uh, California or Los Angeles and there's no magic wand. And uh, a lot of homelessness is due to many other factors, such as disintegration of middle class. Uh, it's, um, uh, you know, just uh, inequity in our society. And the fact that, you know, a lot of people live in California, one out of eight Americans live in California, and the lion's share of the unhoused live in greater LA. But of course, a lot of, lot of our residents think council members can just sort of, you know, just have a magic wand and it'll just go away. But you have actually done a great deal and you have uh, championed uh, many different initiatives um, to do what you can, you know, with everything that you and other um, elected officials are beset with. And one of them was creating the good neighbor policy, um, which has to do with standardized safety uh, and protocols at homeless shelters. Um, would you uh, elaborate on that? Yes, well, I and thank you for recognizing what a complicated uh, issue it is because it isn't, you know, the individuals uh, experiencing homelessness have a wide variety of uh, reasons why they've uh, found themselves living unhoused. Uh, you have uh, a large uh, youth population that is unhoused that are part of the emancipated youth of our foster care system. You have individuals that have both uh, chronic mental health or substance abuse issues. You have families, as in my district, many families. I have the largest population of uh, students that are unhoused, uh, whose families are unhoused at one of my grammar schools here in my district. So it's a very, uh, it's a very diverse set of circumstances that have affected individuals and put them uh, into homelessness. That being said, uh, one of the reasons I ran for office and wanted to be part of the solutions and shifts in our city uh, was because while it's incredibly important for us to continue to um, say yes to the housing and the facilities where so often people resisted, I used to run an affordable housing trust fund in the state, and people have very um, negative perceptions about what that means in their neighborhoods. Uh, the truth of the matter is, is that these don't often, these facilities do not have to be synonymous with having increased crime or tr problems associated with it. And so when I first took office and there was an emergency winter shelter in my district, I was protested by young people, residents, uh, of, you know, uh, that were coming out of anger and frustration and concern about the operations of that facility. Uh, <clears throat> I said to the residents, because I had I literally had been in office maybe about 90 days when it had happened, and I said to them, look, give me an opportunity to make this right, because we can't keep kicking this can down the road. We have to provide these solutions, and we have to assure that when we do so, that it also respects and protects the neighbors. And so we 
the good neighbor policy was the pilot that essentially created a suite of conditions for operators to say, you will implement these standard and standardize the operations and practices in these areas so that we may be able to assure residents that these facilities will not be synonymous with problems uh, in their neighborhoods. And so with the good neighbor policy, we standardized a suite of conditions that uh, frankly eradicated a lot of the problems that were originally associated with that shelter. And that suite of options are available and uh, in application and uh, in all of the facilities across the city. And so it's just trying to help get people to understand that, again, you know, the, the problems of what we see on our streets is we have to work through and develop the, po the probable solutions, but to bring everybody involved along. And I will say that the operator initially resisted some of the proposals that uh, we suggested as part of this good neighbor policy, but clearly it has resulted in a, a meaningful difference because when uh, it was funny, I remember going, having a follow-up community meeting and talking about the facility where people had, again, it had notoriously been very well known about how uh, problem, problematic the operations were previously. And uh, when the resident said, oh my God, do me a favor, don't open that. And I said, well, by the way, it's been operating now for three months and you didn't even realize because we shifted how they operated and how they respected the community. And that made a world of difference. Yeah. You can't always make everyone happy all of the time, but it seems like you're trying to like, as you said, bring everyone with you so that because we have this tendency as human beings to um, want to have our cakes and eat it too. It's like, right. take care of the unhoused. I don't want the homeless, but yet I don't want it near me either. Um, and the stigma and all of that sort of baggage that comes with it. Where do we really draw that balance? This is The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I'm your host, Vic Jaramie, and you are listening to my interview with Los Angeles Council Member Monica Rodriguez. And another element that you address, which is sort of part of this big puzzle, this complicated puzzle, as you said, is, is Safe Parking Program, um, which really addresses a whole other sort of part of this, this huge challenge for the city, if you want to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, well, I actually piloted the first safe parking that accommodated RVs as well. Uh, there's not a single neighborhood throughout the city where you're not identifying uh, the problems that we have with oversized vehicles. And uh, these safe parking facilities, you know, when you marry them with services, there are places you can open up a parking lot and say that this is okay for individuals to park overnight without being disturbed. Uh, but that is insufficient to actually helping to facilitate and connect people to the resources that will in fact get them off the street. And so co-locating the safe parking with a service provider in my district in North Hills uh, really marked a huge shift in getting a number of individuals that have been living in their vehicles for, num in some cases, years, uh, connected to resources that, in fact, help them uh, get into housing and then, frankly, being employed. Uh, there were certain individuals that had been, obviously, it's, it's, a, it's a slippery slope once you become unhoused. How do you maintain a source of employment? How do you, if you don't have access to facilities that enabled you to present yourself in a, uh, in a, you know, in a presentable way. And uh, it really made a difference in the lives of individuals, but adding the RVs, we, you know, we discovered the, the challenges and the benefits of doing so, because depending on the conditions of the RVs, it made it very difficult for us to 
be able to uh, maintain the operations. Uh, but uh, again, we're continuing to try and avail new efforts and innovate ways that we're going to help connect people directly to those resources and not kick them from neighborhood to neighborhood. Because it's important that we remain consistent in approaching these individuals and getting them uh, resourced. And because again, everyone can be at a different uh, circumstance. They could merely need, uh, you know, uh, a voucher or interim supplemental assistance to help close the financial gaps of whatever they need to pay for rent. Uh, everybody is at a different level. And so it's just helping to encourage people to uh, marry themselves to the opportunity to have those services and be connected to it so that we can help get them out of homelessness. Absolutely. We've talked about uh, the homelessness um, challenge. How about you know, this is an election year, and as I said, we're sort of in this transitional period in our nation, in LA, sort of two years of really going through it, if you will. Um, aside from the, the unhoused, what are some of the other challenges that, that are facing you in District 7 specifically? Well, public safety remains a, a huge uh, issue and at the forefront of many Angelinos, my district included. Uh, and it's incredibly important that we continue uh, to marry ourselves to funding and identifying the right resources to the, to the problem. So, for example, with individuals that are experiencing mental health breaks on our streets, it's important that we don't respond necessarily with police or, or fire response uh, to address a circumstance that they're not trained to do. And so what I've done, and we're going to continue to have pressure for fire and police personnel to continue to do their jobs. We're, you know, we're in an environmental crisis and we're in a public safety crisis. And so it's important to make sure that those, those precious resources are continued to be focused on the issues that they are most best trained to do. Uh, so I led the creation uh, working with Mayor Garcetti to have uh, county mental health professionals located at five fire stations across the city that will respond to mental health cases uh, in lieu of uh, having police or fire resources deployed to addressing those issues. It has resulted in the pilot areas where we've launched this, a 70% reduction of the load of calls that fire and or police would often be uh, occupied in responding to. Now, why does that matter? Well, it matters because when you're talking about issues related to public safety and you talk about response times, we are now appropriately aligning our precious resources to a response that gets to the root of what the services of what people need that are in those distressed moments and allowing our firefighters or police officers, many of whom, in the, just to give you the context, we get on an annual basis upwards of 50,000 calls associated with mental health issues alone. Wow. And so making sure that we are better allocating our resources to avail the services that are going to actually directly respond to the needs of the individuals in crisis enables both our fire and police personnel, both of whom are very precious uh, in terms of, you know, pr precious and expensive. Uh, when public safety and the budget for public safety uh, occupies more than two thirds of our city's budget, 
uh, we have to, again, better align our resources in a manner that both that avails and frees up their time to do the jobs that they were best trained to do. And so uh, doing this and, and providing this type of alternative response is critical to enable these fire and police personnel to respond to the crises that they need to do, whether it's obviously the growing uh, threat of wildfires or it's, um, you know, the circumstances with crime on our streets. And so those are the types of efforts that I think are really important for us to continue to look at as, a, as a employment alternatives, because it's getting to the root of what the problems are and not just deploying additional uh you know, everyone thinks that they can call 911 for all of, you know, as it's not the panacea to have police and fire respond to everything. Right. So we need to make sure that we're better uh, aligning these precious resources in a manner that actually gets us the results that we're yeah. seeing. And, and having mental health professionals, it, it also um, reduces the number of people who are needlessly in jails and prisons when all they need actual mental health, whether it be a psychiatrist or therapist or whatever, maybe that PTSD, Um, you know, we still have a long way to go in our society, I think in the world, actually, to uh, reduce uh, stigma around mental health and uh, sort of see it in a black and white type of a way. Uh, So I'll put you on the spot for a second. Uh, You're this is an election year. And your mm-hmm. opponent, you know, you have an opponent as everyone does. What makes you different from your opponent uh, as we stand today? Uh, obviously, uh, aside uh, from the fact that you have a great deal of experience behind you in City Hall. Well, a great deal of experience and, uh, and history over 20 years of both public and private sector experience and a record of results. Uh, you know, I often say that it's real easy to point out the problems. It's a lot more difficult to solve them and have the experience of knowing how to solve them. And so, uh, you know, it, it, it's very commonplace to have individuals that just want to point out all the shortcomings of, of what has occurred, uh, notwithstanding that these individuals have nothing to cite uh, in their own experience of how they've uh, demonstrated their ability to actually lead change, uh, particularly when they've had an opportunity to do so. But uh, I focus on, on my work and my body of work over the course of uh, 20 plus years. And uh, frankly, it has been one that it's what earned me uh, so many uh, endorsements because, uh, you know, it's, it's real easy for people to malign. Oh, well, you know, it's uh, this machine or it's corruption uh, without facts. It's just something that sadly a lot of people uh, gravitate to in absence of having any substantive uh, example of any of the work that, you know, to show for any body of work that they've ever been involved with. They, you know, so uh, I'm in that circumstance and uh, I know some of my colleagues are as well. And, you know, it's the nature of what happens. It's, uh, it's the nature of, of uh, individuals that want to uh, malign other people in, uh, as, uh, as, as a means of distracting uh, the public from being held accountable or being able to speak to any, uh, any actual deliverable that they've ever been involved in. So uh, I just focus on doing my work and I continue to show the results. And, uh, you know, in four years time, I've been, uh, you know, responding to crises after crises and a global pandemic. And so it's real easy for people to be Monday morning quarterbacking about how, how, or, you know, woulda, shoulda, coulda. And the truth is, is what we need is better collaborations uh, between individuals that uh, purport that they want to help advance and move our communities forward so that we can actually do so. 
Absolutely. This is The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I'm your host, Vic Jaramie, and you are listening to my interview with Los Angeles Council Member Monica Rodriguez. What question, uh, I have two more questions for you, and the first one is this. What questions should I have asked you that I missed or anything you'd like to add? <laughs> well, I mean, I think... Um, you know, what I'd like to say is that it's been, uh, for me, it's been an incredible privilege of my life to serve in this role. And even in spite of all the challenges of, of what these times have presented, I think it's been, uh, it, I mean, these are just remarkable times. And it tests us in ways of being creative. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I'm just so grateful we have uh, such a committed group of public servants in the city that have really turned themselves inside out to be first responders. And I'm not just talking about police and fire. I'm talking about every city employee that figured out how to adapt and change to this just incredibly uncertain environment, uh, not just to continue to sustain their workload, but also to be uh, to serve as that uh, interim stopgap for families that desperately needed resources at a time when we were just, uh, again, experiencing, uh, you know, these devastating losses through COVID, uh, and then also having to endure their own uh, impacts with COVID. You know, people are often desensitized to uh, what, you know, uh, what these individuals have done. And yes, they have signed up to be public servants, uh, but it has been very trying and exhausting on them as well. And so I'm just grateful to be in a position to work with a group of professionals that care so much and so deeply about residents of the city, that we're trying to work every single day to figure out a way uh, to do better, uh, to do right by them, and to make sure that we don't miss a beat in, uh, in serving uh, all the needs in the pe for the people of Los Angeles. Absolutely. I, I'm, I dare to say I'm friends with a couple of council members, and I know that it's an exhausting, thankless job a lot of times. I mean, their schedules just make me, give me like, I just can't believe all that they do, you know, seven days a week. Uh, it's, uh, I do admire you. And I want to, I also want to say as an Armenian American, thank you for your support. Uh, LA city council has been, um, uh, you know, a pillar in the back of the Armenian community as, you know, not only this Armenian genocide recognition, but unfortunately our people went through it again in 2020 with the attack on Artsakh when the world mm -hmm. watched in uh, deafening silence, uh, LA City Hall had a press conference, LA City Hall issued declarations. I know it was unanimous. I know you were supportive of that. I know you have a lot of Armenian Americans in your district, especially Sanlan Tahanga. So I wanna thank you. I know all, I, no, I'm not going to lie. I don't know all that you have to deal with. <laughs> I have an idea. I have an idea and I'm, and I'm very grateful. Um, before we go, uh, council member, how can people reach you, get involved, contribute? Uh, if you can give us your website or just other ways people can um, reach out to you. Sure. Well, my website is uh, www.monica4citycouncil.com. And uh, they could certainly email at monica at monicaforcitycouncil.com as well. Uh, but if they go to the website, they should be able to uh, get all the information and details on how to get involved. You know, civic duty is everyone's responsibility. And we want to remind everyone that even just a basic fundamental uh, opportunity that you have is just to make sure that you vote. 
And uh, with respect to, you know, the, the atrocities and the aggressions in Artsakh uh, and, uh, and my support of uh, really helping to give proper recognition and respect to the generations of Armenians that have had to endure uh, the loss uh, and that history of loss uh, of, their, uh, of their people. It's really been an honor for me to be an ally and, uh, and a champion on these issues along with so many of my colleagues uh, because injustice, injustice anywhere is injustice everywhere. And our communities have mutual, mutually experienced uh, the same levels of disrespect and uh, for me, it, it's just no question uh, that I would continue to be aligned with uh, the Armenian people on these issues because it's, it's not far different from the experiences that uh, Latino Americans have experienced here uh, in terms of just the, uh, the, le the level of dignity and respect that has been denied so often by just an acknowledgement and recognition of the experience. And so I think for that, I'm, uh, I'm really grateful to, uh, to have the opportunity to be in a position where I can help raise voice and, and raise attention to, um, to, this, uh, to this critical issue. I appreciate that. You're right. There's a lot of intersectionality, shared trauma with a lot of us minorities. It's uh, you know, discrimination, marginalization, the inequity. Um, so yes, thank you for that. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate your time. Uh, good luck to you, although I don't think you need it. And uh, if one more time, you can give us your, uh, your web address, your URL, appreciate it. Sure, it's www.monica4citycouncil.com. Fantastic. Thank you, uh, council member, for being on the Blunt Post with Vic this morning. Thank you so much for having me. That was my interview with uh, Council Member Monica Rodriguez uh, from North and Northeast and Central San Fernando Valley, uh, who is up for re-election, uh, as are many other uh, members of the LA City Council. Uh, thank you, Council Member, for being on the show this morning. I appreciate your time, and I hope to chat with you again soon. Before we go, I'd like to thank my producer, Ricky Herrera, without whom this show would not be possible, and KPFK, the station that brings you unfiltered and commercial-free news, opinion, and hopefully some inspiration. Thank you for joining me today on The Blunt Post with Vic. Tune in next Monday at 6 a.m. for another episode. For more information, please visit thebluntpost.com. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Vic Jarami at V-I-C-G-E-R-A-M-I. -I. Thank you.